I am Battalion Chief Bailey Martin, and we're here for another uh, episode of the Richmond Fire Dialogues. Today, I'm joined by uh, Captain Jamie Potter, Nicole Morgan, and Lieutenant Kevin Knight. We're going to be talking today about mental health, physical health, how the two are connected, and how they both impact how firefighters do their job and also their their personal lives. So, uh, Captain Potter, I guess let's you know get started. And you you and I had some discussions about getting this episode together. So, what kind of things? Um, made this an episode that you felt like was important for us to tackle? So I think that there's a lot of uh, transitions going on in the department right now, and it's hard to battle the transitions um, as well as the job itself. So I think that it's important to really ensure that our people are being taken care of. And so I felt like with it being May and the mental health um, aspect of the month of May for the fire service, that this was a great topic to um kind of hit on now. And, you know, this is a topic that's definitely been important to me. I've had uh, my own issues with mental health in the fire service. You know, I've had different times where um, dealing with some of my coworkers or my own personal experiences going through a divorce, um, just other, the nature of the job in terms of the things that we see and the stresses of that as well. Uh, so it's been something that's been important to me for a while. Uh, Battalion Chief Brian Turnage and I, he had kind of a, a similar revelation about five years ago. Um, we both kind of were going through the same kind of uh, self-reflection about mental health at the same time and decided to work together to start our peer support team. So we've been working on that and we can certainly talk about that a little more as, as we move on. But it's definitely something that's important to me. And the physical side, uh, in my own personal experience, I've always felt that the uh, physical my physical health and fitness has always helped me with my mental health as well. They kind of go hand in hand. So I think that's a good reason to have these two together. So, um, did you have any other personal experiences for you when the fire service that kind of resonate with you about these two topics? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I will tell you personally, I have dealt with my own mental health side of things not having a support group really. Um, being a female in the fire service is a challenge in itself. Uh, I was super young into the into my career here with the city um, and didn't really know how to manage everything that I was seeing, everything that I was doing, and then couple that with a lot, a lot of my private uh, lifestyles that I was in the middle of. Um, and so I, I went down a, a couple of really challenging roads. Um, medications weren't working. Uh, talking to the very few people that I had in my life uh, really didn't help. Um, and I tried to do the counseling thing, but I found that that wasn't really my outlet or my way of managing and coping. So um, luckily enough, Chief uh, Ring um, kind of took me to the side and said, hey, uh, I'm here, and kind of took me under his wing and got me into working out. Um, at the time, he was doing some CrossFit-style workouts, um, and I learned that that was my way of coping with everything that I was dealing with. Um, I will also tell you that from a personal standpoint that Mike and I, uh, my husband, have been dealing with a lot of personal stuff as it relates to his child um, and her, you know, mental health and those kind of things. So I've really, 
I've battled this both on a personal level and a professional level. Um, and then just seeing the different things that are occurring in the department now and people being worn out and tired um, and our call volume increasing as well as the amount of hours that we're working increasing and there not being a true work-life balance. How do we battle that? How do we stay at the top of our game and serve the citizens like they deserve to be served in a way that is functional both to them and to us? Because if that we lose sight of our people, then we're really gonna lose sight of the community. Um, and so I, I wanted to talk more about the mental health side and the the ways of coping with the mental health and all that we're being challenged with right now and the different initiatives and all the changes in the department right now in a way that is productive instead of the typical, hey, let's sit around the coffee table and, and complain and not really solve the world's problems. So um, that's kind of where that I sit with the topic. Okay. I think that's a good transition into our first guest who um, is Nicole Morgan. Uh, she's a counselor here in the area. I uh, was able to get to know Nicole basically because, as I mentioned, we were doing some work with the peer support team. And one of the big challenges that we've had uh, as a peer support team is when we have firefighters that they are not at a critical level where they need to go to like a mental facility necessarily, but they're in a state where they really need to talk to someone and a professional quickly. And what we found is that a lot of uh, counselors and clinicians, it's hard to get an appointment quickly with them. It could take a week, two weeks. And sometimes we don't feel like these folks, you know, of course we are impatient. We want problems solved as firefighters quickly. Um, but we also, like you said, want to take care of our people. So we want to get them in to see someone quickly. And, and Nicole's been someone that we've been able to reach out to who will alter her schedule to meet with people on a short notice and it's been really helpful to have her as a, as a resource that we can call. So, uh, Nicole, it, um, thank you for being here. Um, and first, I guess if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work. Um, so I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and just a little bit about my background is I'm a military kiddo um, and come from a military family. And so uh, first responders, public service is uh, baked into who I am. Um, I'm also married to a law enforcement officer um, who is a retired federal officer now. So. And what got me passionate was that my dissertation was on pre-existing factors that impact women who develop PTSD who serve in the military. And while I was doing this work, I started um, seeing individuals who are first responders and seeing some of the same family life stressors that were impacting how they were functioning at work. So after the dissertation was finished and graduation was done, I decided that this was definitely the population that I wanted to work with. So my first responders and my military members and their families, because that's also a huge factor in keeping us working. Um, so, so it's a passion and it's definitely needed because in addition to taking care of ourselves as employees, we have to take care of our families and being aware of how they intertwine is really, really important. So that's the work I get to do. How long have you been doing that work? Oh, um, so since 2013. 2013, okay, awesome. And, and so, do you, I'm sure you counsel with other people other than first responders, but um, it, specifically for first responders or even uh, firefighters, if we wanna be more specific, mm -hmm. uh, what are your impressions of some of the common themes or challenges that you see with with some of the people that you uh, assist? Well, one of the biggest challenges that I see, and, and I 
say challenges, it's also a gift. I view them as both, is that the over-dedication to the work. So you'll see that show up with how they view their families. So you'll have a individual who's a coach, a parent, um, a volunteer, and then they may work in the hospital, um, doing medical work um, as uh, EMS in the, in the hospital, and then, oh, they're also a firefighter. So they have multiple hats and they're stretched thin and incredibly busy. So burnout um, is a really common experience and making sure that we're doing things along the way to reduce burnout and build resilience is the most important thing that we can do. Can you describe burnout a little more and what yes. you think that is or, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a well, I book definition. Sure I, but. <laughs> well, I wanted to make sure I had, I had really good symptoms. Um, so, and a lot of them will overlap with other experiences like anxiety and depression, but Big one is the feeling exhausted or fatigue, sleep um, issues, changes in appetite. You're getting sick more often. Colds are a real common um, physical side effect of burnout. We'll have headaches, feeling anxious, distant, listless, hard uh, concentrating, and it usually shows up with also irritability. So those are really common symptoms that show up with burnout. Um, and it's really important to be aware and to notice that in others and to say, hey, I think you might need to actually take a nap or have a Snickers because it's going to make you <laughs> feel a little bit better. Um, and especially the eating, we tend to shift from eating balanced to eating um, high carb, high fat, not healthy. And that adds to the breakdown, which then leads to the colds and the illness and the over feelings of fatigue. And with, um, you know, we have our peer support team does have some training we have some partners at vcu that have been helping us with our training and then we have you know, our initial training and then we also have uh some you know like quarterly training throughout the year and one of the big things that we talk about is resiliency that you mentioned so what are what are some tools or if you want to could you talk more about resiliency what that is and what it looks like for firefighters in particular absolutely so being so being in the fire service that that makes you a resilient individual um, you've picked a profession and a vocation that really goes to, I want to help others, and that gives us hope. And so hope is one of the biggest pieces of resilience. Um, so what? So the things that we do to keep building resilience, diet, exercise, community, hobbies, um, and fishing really is a great hobby. And spending time with family and friends, laughter is a huge re um, resilience piece. Jokes, even if they're slightly inappropriate, they're still um, needed because it helps us keep going and keep motivated. Um, and one of the big things I think with resilience is being able to look at someone else and say, hey, I, I need you to talk to someone, even if it's just a chaplain, um, because it, it lets you know that somebody else is there and cares for you. So that way you have that built in support, uh, which is also part of that resilience. And when, you, when you talk about support, you know, we certainly, uh, when we have some of these discussions, we talk about what support looks like. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we talk particularly about uh, what I would call a high impact call, those, those calls that you don't get every day, but can have a high impact on someone. And we try and really look at where is this person's support system? You know, for some people that's their crew, you know, the people that they work with, they feel in some ways closer sharing those things with them. They don't take those things home with their spouse or their families. But for others, it is. It is their spouse or they have a good friend or uh, someone else that they share with. Um, so, or sometimes it's a counselor, you know. Um, so what what would you recommend in terms of identifying your own support system or, or your, how would you go about finding either your support system or those tools, which ones suit you best to help you? 
develop that resiliency. So I definitely look at the individuals that are around you and see who's supportive. A lot of times people are concerned about talking to their spouses. However, spouses already know. So sometimes just having a conversation, even if you don't go into details, allows you to um, decompress a little bit, but also get the support from your spouse. Um, there's a great book. It's been around, well, I think it's been around for a couple of years now. There's a version also for law enforcement. It's called I Love the Firefighter. Um, and that, that book's written by a clinical psychologist, and it really focuses on how the job impacts the family. Um, but as far as going to the support, definitely your crew, um, like the, the peer support team, talking to others in the field, spirituality is a good one. And then friends that you've had for a long time, you, again, if you, don't, you don't have to go into the details of the call. You don't have to go into the um, things that were the most uncomfortable pieces to necessarily process and um, decompress. And of course, counseling. And it's really important to find a culturally competent counselor. Somebody who understands first responder culture, somebody who understands fire service culture, and being open to learning if they are not. So it's not something you can just fall backwards into. It takes a little bit of experience to learn. Um, and then my other thing is thinking about hobbies. That's another way to build that social network, especially in this area. There's a lot of people who've had a lot of life experience, especially uh, military, so they can relate to the difficulties and the stress. Um, in addition, there's, like I said, um, spiritual uh, connections, even if it's just going out and connecting with nature, hiking groups, um, and then trying a bunch of different things. So if you are not into fishing, perhaps you are a hiker, perhaps you're a photographer, and then connecting with people who do those types of work. Um, and, oh, gardening. Gardening's a good one. Simple, easy, get a pot, get a plant, good to go. <laughs> get you a tomato. <laughs> um. So you mentioned uh, burnout earlier yes. and then, you know, kind of alluded to some other issues like depression, anxiety, that PTSD is often something that comes up, uh, particularly with first responders. I, I would think that, it, you know, from everything I've talked, uh, talked with some people that have had it and some of the, you know, clinicians that we worked with, um, it certainly can affect us differently than it would necessarily a soldier or, or someone like that. But how can you, as, as you're, if you're trying to build your own resiliency and that self-awareness, at what point can you start to identify, hey, maybe this isn't something minor or burnout, but maybe this is something more serious like PTSD. How, how do you start to identify that in yourself or recognize that in yourself so that you can get the proper help for something like that? Not being able to separate um, work from home is a big uh, sign, I think, for a lot of people with that stressor. Also, nightmares and not being able to get maybe that last call or the last experience out of your brain, so you're playing it over and over again. Like it's, um, I would say record, but it depends on the age of people. Playing that particular <laughs> scene over and over again <laughs> um, tell, tells us that, okay, this particular incident might be a little bit more. And so acute stress is maybe a single incident. And then over time, um, it can turn into post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so a lot of research suggests and, and, and really recommends that people just, you know, it's okay to go and talk and debrief and doing so actually reduces the likelihood of that re-experiencing, especially with folks who get it um, or, and even people who've had that same experience. Um, the other piece that I would also add is if you're having nightmares, like 
yeah, go to therapy. Um, EMDR is incredibly useful. Cognitive behavioral therapy is incredibly useful. Actually, dialectical behavioral therapy is incredibly useful. Can you explain yeah. those th procedures a little sure. more for um, those of us that don't know? <laughs> there you go with my acronyms. Um, yeah. <laughs> so EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy, is um, a therapy that is designed to work on the memories that are related to the trauma. So it includes um, some eye movement or bilateral stimulation, which kind of go back and forth with your eyes, or you can use hand tappers, depending on the, what the clinician does. Um, also, you can use auditory. And it just helps us get the entire brain online so we can process through not only the logical, the emotional, but also the somatic reaction, the physical reaction to the events that have occurred. Um, you can get to those same experiences through cognitive behavioral therapy. So cognitive behavioral therapy is how your thoughts and your feelings impact your behavior and the behavior tends to be how you're coping. Um, sometimes coping in a positive way, sometimes coping in a way that's causing additional challenges. Um, so being aware of how my behavior, perhaps if I'm drinking too much, would be an example, or if I'm avoiding too much, or if every morning I wake up and go, oh, I don't want to be here, um, I'm going to work, but I don't want to be here. Those are signs that maybe this is more than just a single incident that'll just blow over. I probably need to go talk to someone to process through. Um, in dialectical behavioral therapy, the big theory is that you can't have two things existing in the same space at the exact same moment. So you can't be super excited and super depressed or super sad at the same time. So you use the opposite to help move your mood so that you're more balanced. Mm -hmm. um, and they have some really useful coping skills um, that really, as far as the behavioral piece, um, that helps us divert, shift, kind of cope with how we're feeling in the moment. So they have really positive coping skills through that. And good clinicians have experience with all of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. So let's shift for a moment to our other guest. Yes. Um, and I'll let, uh, Captain, if you want to introduce our other guest, and we'll kind of go from there. <clears throat> yeah, so our other guest here today is Kevin Knight. He's a lieutenant with us. Um, Kevin, can you just give us a little bit of your background before the fire service and then kind of leading up to now? Sure. Um, like Nicole, I was a military kid. Um, my dad was a Marine, and uh, mom was a school teacher, so service was very embedded in myself and my brother. Um, grew up on military bases a little bit and was uh, happy to have the freedom of roaming and exploring and, and stuff like that. And found sports as an, an outlet for some, some difficult stuff in, in my life. Um, father passed away when I was 12 and, and just latched on to, to, to sports, both basketball and soccer. Um, eighth grade, I was uh, small. My mom said I was a, a late bloomer. And so I, I just had this disciplined mindset of, well, I've got to choose one. There's only a couple uh, basketball players that are, that are small, but the best, best soccer player in the world, are, they're tiny. So I'll go, go that route. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, um, sports were a big thing and service was a big thing. Um, played uh, soccer in college and then uh, a little bit after but then um, it was time to to find a new career and I honestly didn't know what to do and um, was in in a car uh, with my brother and um, came across an accident where a, uh, a car had hit a, a kid on a bicycle and he had had some EMT training and I, I was just not in a position where I could help and I wanted to help and I could just call in the location, um, but he was, you know, talking like C-spine this, and you know he's posturing that, and, and then the, the firefighters arrived, and 
um, I thought, man, it'd be cool to to be in a career of uh, helping people, and uh, maybe that was the next thing that that I could do. So, applied to several places and didn't know a whole lot, but it, it took a couple years. But I'm very happy that I arrived at at Richmond. Um, rather, I I could have landed at other places, but I'm I'm thankful that I'm here. Um, so that's that's how I arrived at at this career and. Um, currently a lieutenant at Engine 13 and, uh, and on the water rescue team. And uh, that's where I serve presently. So I have the absolute pleasure of working with Kevin um, on a day-in, day-out basis. And I will tell you that his, cr- his crew is one of the top performing in the department. And so when that I, I thought about this podcast in particular, um, and you know, we're working a lot of overtime and those kind of things. And so we're able to get into other stations and see how their crews operate. And, you know, like I kept coming back to what is Kevin doing? <laughs> we're, we're, we need more Kevins because his crew is still, even with all the changes, even with all the extra hours that we're working, they're still the top performers. They're still the ones that come to work every day and they're happy to be there and they're engaged um, and anytime that I ask any of them, Hey, uh, can y'all make sure that this gets done today? It's always like, yep, got it. No problem. Instead of the grumble that you may get other places. And so, you know, I really wanted to talk with Kevin and kind of like highlight some of the things that he's doing at 13 and keeping his crew in that, in that space, you know, and, and just managing his four walls and not necessarily the entire department and taking on all the challenges of the department, but him ensuring that his crew is continuing to move forward and not getting in that negativity. So, Kevin, thank you so much for being here with us today um, and sharing some of that capability um, with hopefully the entire department. Yeah, happy to hear. I have to add just a caveat to that, um, is that that it's the personnel that makes up the station. And and sure, officers are important, but the culture that was established on the the C-shift between, it's a two-company house, so between the the truck and the engine is is integral to everyone um, working well together. Um, And so... um, for the past few years, um, that's been a, that's been a big thing, and then having uh, battalion chiefs that are supportive of, of us training and thinking outside the box a little bit has been very important as well. So it's the people, and um, we're and it, we're constantly trying to improve. So, but I appreciate the comments there. So, how is it being uh, a former college professional athlete? How is fitness? played into uh, how you view the fire service or how you, you know, that's, uh, I guess, a big part of your life. Um, there's a whole nother part of your life we haven't talked about yet. So, uh, you know, you're, you own a CrossFit gym. How, how have those experiences impacted how you do your job or how you lead your crew, as Captain mentioned? Uh, they've been intertwined for me from the beginning because um, I, I was playing and playing every day at a sport and at a, at a competitive level um, before I was was hired. Um, and so I had sort of, when I, when I left uh, competitive sport, I, there was sort of a void there that I didn't know how I was gonna fill. Um, but I also had this sort of 
pattern and, and history of training for something. And, uh, and it was also uh, Chief Ring, now Lieutenant Ring, who came to the academy and said, you need to just go to this website and, and see what they're doing. Um, and it was CrossFit. And, um, and what that fit a couple of key pieces in my life. One was that it, it can be treated like a sport. So that's, that's one aspect of, of what that mode of functional fitness is. So I did compete at it for a while and it, and it filled that void. Um, but I think more importantly on the long-term end, two things. Uh, one is that for me, it, it made sense that that's how that type of fitness, not necessarily CrossFit, and, but that type of fitness is how to best prepare for the unknown. And, and that's what our job is. We don't know when we arrive at work, are we gonna have to sprint through a, a front door to, to try to rescue someone? Are we gonna have to lift something heavy? Or is it gonna be a sort of a, a longer endurance thing that we're gonna have to, to, um, to perform, like a, a long call on the river where we're searching the banks, um, you know, either, either on the boat or by foot or, or swim, whatever it may be. So it made sense to me that this broad generalized fitness, not specializing in one thing, was what would make me and others best prepared for our job. So that was the initial motivation was, I wanna be prepared to help others. Um, how that's transitioned over the years is a lot what uh, Nicole was talking about, and I think what this, um, this discussion is, is that it became me trying to be best prepared and perform well to, man, I need this as an outlet for me to stay <laughs> not just fit but um but healthy in my head as well um and uh and that's something that i've found um repeatedly in my life as as, as we all go through junk <laughs> i've needed that but uh but that's people say that to me as well both at at work and at the at the gym um and it's been a rough day i just need to work out or at the gym it's uh I hear repeatedly, this is my sanity. <laughs> this is what that gets me through the junk in the day. Um, and that's a, I think it's an important outlet. There are several, but I think that we are, as, as people, um, created or however you wanna, wanna put that, but we're made to move. And, uh, and if we don't move in today's society, we become stagnant. A lot of that stuff can build up. Um, little things, little altercations can become big ones, and certainly big problems can become seemingly insurmountable. Um, for me and others, expenditure, working out, physical exercise gets, uh, you probably have a more technical term for it. I say it gets the junk out. Transmutes the energy. See, I knew I say junk, you say transmute. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. <laughs> you know, into uh, Captain's point about her observations about you and your crew, and, and one of my experiences as a company officer and even battalion chief has been that there's also a sense when you can get your crew to do it with you, um, or like in your gym's case, when you have, because CrossFit is a big, community sport right like you all kind of enduring these workouts together separately but everyone feels the uh 
the suck of those workouts together and it builds chemistry. It, it builds, it helps you bond when you go through those things together. And for me, it's always been a way to, to another form of building chemistry with my crew. And certainly that, you know, you're on certain crews where you have people that want to do their own thing when they work out or they, uh, don't like to work out. Maybe they, you know, some, some people don't like to work out on their work days because they're, worried of that big call that could come in and they don't want to be overly fatigued for that. But, but when I could get everyone together to work out, play a game, we were talking about cornhole earlier, a little competition, anything like that, that you can create those experiences in the station, I think, but especially where you can create bonding and also is that physical part, like you said, to uh, transmute the energy or get the junk out, which, you know, whatever your, (laughs) you know, preferred term is, I think it's 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 good and it, it helps create balance for your crews, but also brings you together a little bit and, and can maybe help you. Uh, it helps, you know, build trust, too, where you can help maybe in some of those peer support situations. If you're you know, when you're training, you know, you're training like you should, you're you're performing at a high level with your crew. Everyone feels better about that. And it, and it does help. I think the, the two go hand in hand, help your physical and your mental health when you're feeling good about what you're doing at work. You feel better overall if you're doing that, you know, at the physical and the mental level. Then, then that's I think what we're all looking for. Um, I, I wanted. There's a couple other things that I think between you know all of us that I think would that warrant some discussion if we're talking about these kinds of issues. You know, one is that there's a big um, a lot of research coming out now about sleep deprivation and its effects on your physical and your mental health and also your long term prospects in terms of health, uh, cancer risk and things like that. So just want to kind of get your thoughts, maybe Nicole, if you want to start on maybe what you know about that and, and how you see that translate with some of the people you work with. Absolutely. So with sleep deprivation, which is why I'm a fan of dark out, blackout curtains for those of us who do shift work, um, is it can actually let, uh, contribute to us being less sharp. So the little things that you would have noticed that are significant that would keep you safe or other safe all of a sudden it just kind of slides slightly off because we're not as attuned. Um, it also impacts things like your health, overall health. Uh, we see higher blood pressure, um, higher cholesterol in individuals with sleep deprivation. Um, they tend to have difficulties with weight overall because again, their body's not getting the rest that it needs. And my least favorite is that if we continue this over long periods of time, it can actually lead to problems with memory and it, some studies are starting to say that there's some signs of dementia related to sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. So I really encourage to get the best quality sleep. I understand that that's not always um, the eight, six to eight to 10 hours, depending on the human that you need, but if you can get the best quality, meaning that you're getting the most restful um, and restorative sleep that you can, that's really important. So sleep hygiene and working out is a huge part of that, um, mm-hmm. figuring out when you can release some of that energy and then being able to calm yourself so you can rest. So sleep hygiene, sleep patterns, developing a sleep routine makes that much easier. Um, this is also kind of one of those aha moments for me in that, you know, I had, you know, worked normal schedules before I was in the fire department, but then I was on shift work for 14 years until uh, when I made battalion chief was my first time back on a conventional 40 hour work week. And one of the things I found out pretty quickly was that there was a huge difference in my energy level from, 
when I was able to get a good night's rest in my own bed every night. So it allowed me, and I think that helped me with some other aspects of like working out. Um, I was you know more motivated. I could get in more of a routine, and uh, and also just when you're on shift work, they're long days. Like you said, they're unpredictable. Uh, sleep, especially as an officer, is not always um, as available to you because you know if you have calls at night, you know a lot of folks can go back to sleep. You got to do the reports and things like that. Um, but, uh, when I went back into the field, I, f- I could tell I f- just very quickly, it was almost immediate, the effect it had on, on, like you said, my, my mental sharpness, uh, my energy level, you know, I'm pretty much for 14 years, you know, by about two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm starting to kind of get tired and, you know, really trying to drag through the day. But when I'm on the more conventional schedule, have energy all day long. So I could definitely see the benefits of that and definitely are looking for ways that we can try to be mindful of that in our work environments. And as a leader in the fire service, how can we help members get through that? Especially as Captain mentioned with our members working more than, you know, our 56 hour work week is tough anyway, but with everyone working more than 56 consistently now, um, it seems like it's, it's really something that we have to pay attention to. I don't know if you two have any thoughts on that with your own experiences. I do. Uh, Captain Potter mentioned earlier stigmas that um, we can get in the, the fire department. Um, I think uh, that fellow members of the department um, can be really, really supportive, but sometimes it can be the other way. Um, and so there can be stigmas, people going through stuff and and, pe- and the people who are going through them being concerned about what other people are saying and it, it can become negative. Um, but again, the peer support group and things like that, it's super positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as a culture in our department, we need to lean more into supporting one another and less tearing each other down. How this relates to, to sleep is, is just this. I as an officer need to look out for my crew. Um, we work... We call it hell week, a day on, a day off, a day on, a day off, a day on. And now we have mandatory overtime in there. So, fine example, we work a Saturday, um, say we work a Saturday 24 hours, that's the fourth day in our hell week. Maybe we've been up all night that Tuesday and Thursday and even the Saturday. We have mandatory during the day on uh, Sunday and then come back to work on Monday for another 24 um, you mentioned, Nicole, the importance of, of sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and what does it mean in that situation to look out for our crew? Um, yes, we want to be productive and, and we want to, to, to work out together, train together. Um, but also, we need to be ready to, to be able to respond to emergencies. There's been a stigma forever on yeah, that person sleeps or this person is, is napping in, in this situation. And, and I was one of those people at the at the beginning. Um, no, we, we should be working and being productive. Um, there's a big but. If we are working and if we are productive, then there is a very important place for recovery and for sleep. And for mm-hmm. us, that doesn't necessarily happen between the normal hours. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, a sh- it should be a shift of what does that mean now that we're working all of these hours and how do we take care of it? and that needs to be all the way from the top not um, there's still a fear and some 
some crews will, what if this person comes into the station and, you know, I'm not cleaning or I'm not working out or I'm not training. Sometimes the most productive thing you can do is, is to rest so we're prepared for the next one. Um, now, there's a, there's a spectrum. <laughs> that <Right. laughs> We can take things to the extreme. This person, this person always does this. So that's where the managerial side can come in. But I think that's a discussion worth, worth having. Yeah, I think it, I think it's, um, the thing with our schedule and our days is that every day is not the same. So you can't necessarily, um, plan every day out that, all right, from two to four, this is your time to regen. If you want to nap, veg out, whatever, you know, some days you're working all the way up until eight o'clock at night, you know, and then other days it's slow uh, during the day. Um, so it's hard to plan for that. But I think, as you mentioned, as a supervisor, being able to read your crew, you know, know, know their situation. I think that's where you, you know, have to develop relationships with them that they can tell you what's, you, you kind of know what's going on with them, whether it's something in their personal life. Sometimes you have to give them that space at work if they're going through something, through a hard time, like, a you know, problems at home, divorce. We've all, you know, not all of us, but a lot of us have gone through those types of struggles in our, in our job and, and have to still work and perform. But then um, also, you know, knowing, all right, well, like, this person worked overtime at five yesterday. They ran 24 calls and now he's here today. You know, how do I manage that and make sure that he, he or she is ready to do their job, you know, and that may mean giving them a little rest or, you know, letting them uh, rejuvenate a little bit uh, at some point during the day. And I hope that, I hope that's all in the context of we need to serve and Mm -hmm. we need to be prepared to serve and pursue excellence. Um, it's in that context that, that I'm... Yeah, and I think that's, like you mentioned, the spectrum. I think you have to recognize that there's a difference between someone that comes in and just doesn't want to do anything because they're lazy, uh, and then there's someone that's recognizing that, you know, they want to... Um, they know where they are, and they need a little time, or they need a little rest at some point during the day. And, you know, like you said, especially if it's something that someone needs day after day, then, you know, you have to manage that as a supervisor. But I definitely think it should factor into our equation into, as you mentioned earlier, how do we treat our employees? How do we support them? And that's being aware of their physical uh, health and how we can make sure that they're best prepared for that next call. So. Um, so another, another one of those topics that I thought like we should discuss because we're talking about mental and physical health is diet and how do we, how do we, what do we put in ourselves to help get us through that shift work or, or what do we, you know, how do we manage stress? You know, for me, like I know like, um, particularly when I don't get a lot of sleep, like I eat more, I guess it helps. Like you mentioned earlier, high carb, um, Usually a lot of caffeine is uh, what it takes sometimes to get me through, I feel like, which isn't the healthiest yeah. <laughs> as, as everyone raises their coffee cups. Um, so so um, what are your, you know, thoughts on, on some of that? And diet. Can I pick on caffeine for just a moment? Sure. So it is an actor of the gods. I don't care what anyone says. But you do need to be aware of how much we're taking. So some of the um, symptoms of over-caffeinated, like anxious, nervous, uh, not being, being restless, uh, a lot of times people will mistake that one for anxiety. You know, my, one of my first questions is, hey, how many, 
how much coffee have you had today? My favorite one was one. I was like, one cup? Oh, no, no, one pot. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, that could be what's going on. I don't think it's anxiety. I think you might be a little over-caffeinated. Um, so keeping, and keeping in mind that caffeine's got a really long half-life. It's hanging out for like 10 to 12 hours in your system. Like, that's a long time for anything to spend time there. So just being aware of the consumption, because I know the bang and the other energy drinks um real popular but there's a lot there's a lot in there so it's going to impact your sleep because if it's hanging around for 10 to 12 hours in your system then how are you going to get restful sleep how are you gonna get that nap in when you have the time mm-hmm. so please be aware of that and then my favorite line is i'm gonna need you to eat a vegetable <laughs> i understand bread is lovely <laughs> i'm a fan of bread i support bread but i'm gonna need you to put a vegetable in you because um, again it gives you the right energy you want to be balanced as best you can so vegetables 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 and i will say you know i've been in for 20 years now and certainly that's one of the if you talk about changes that you've seen in the fire service that's something that i have seen change over time uh in that a big tradition in the fire service is eating meals Mm -hmm. together and when i came in a lot of those meals were fried delicious meals, you know, hearty <laughs> meals, huge meals, you know, um, we've had some great cooks in our fire department that I love to eat, um, their food, but we also have had, I've seen a shift as more people are more, uh, aware of some of, you know, just how to eat better. And, you know, I, myself, I've learned to eat much differently. Um, but I have seen a change or a shift in the types of meals and even just the structure of what that looks like eating together because a lot of people have different diets now. So to cook one thing for eight people is difficult sometimes when you have someone that doesn't, you know, you might have someone that's a vegan, you might have someone that's, uh, you know, can't eat gluten or, you know, there's a lot of different accommodations that we have to make now um, that aren't bad, but it definitely has changed how I think people look at food and also how that impacts our day as firefighters. So I, don't, I know you, you two, to me, are, are two of the healthier people that I know in terms of, I think, um, <laughs> that. Um, so so I don't know if you want to talk about that. You know? All right, well, let's talk about it. Let's so, about uh, Yeah, uh, so I go back and forth, honestly, you know, and, and I believe that we're, we're learners and we're work, works in progress. And so, uh, and I also believe that um, different people um, have different fuel sources that work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, like high sugar is is bad, especially over the years. Um, but I also enjoy ice cream, as my crew would quickly tell them. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, it's important to to check myself every now and then, um, and so I'll. I'll I'm not advocating as this this is the most healthy way, and there are certainly other people who are more consistent, but I'll go on uh, challenges. So I recently went on a 75-day thing where it was no processed sugar, no alcohol, um, and, uh, and a lot of, and, and, uh, and a gallon of water a day and, and things like that. So that helps to keep me in check, um, but my, my struggle is then to, to go on the other side which needs to be balanced by um, exercise and and and, uh, and sleep and stuff like that. But um, it's important to know that, especially now, as you said, that one size doesn't fit all. And I've found that through working with people at the gym. So for some people, 
counting macros works well for them. They have that, they want that structure in their life. For other people, that becomes a mental issue <laughs> for them and it consumes them. And it's an unhealthy relationship with food. Uh, for some people, they, are, they operate really, really well on high protein, high fat. Um, and then other people, uh, it's more healthy carbs and, and low you know, meat consumption. So um, eating together is important, but our health is also important. And um, try to, what we try to do is find a healthy balance with our crew, which is if we make taco salad. Uh, so we'll, we'll buy chips, but we'll also buy greens. So, you know, what do you, there's, there's options for people to, to eat either way at this station. And I'll say, you know, when you talk about like uh, diversity and, and how that can contribute, I certainly think, you know, in the realm of, of dieting, uh, it's been the diversity of people that we have uh, has helped me in some ways. You know, even though I, I love bacon too much to ever be a <laughs> vegan, I have I have friends that I, you know, in the department that are and and I've listened to what they have to say and their reasons for being vegan or vegetarian or things like that. And I think there's some things that make sense about that. And it made me, you know, change how I view certain foods and things. So um, I think that's, you know, it's important. And, and like you said, you know, what works for some doesn't work for others. But I think you have to kind of just like working out, find what works for you, what your body responds to and helps you be your best at your best. Um, so another topic that I'd like to bruise, I feel like we're going to talk about mental health and physical health that, um, we can't really not talk about this, but, um, is suicide in the fire service, um, or for public safety. Uh, some people, you know, uh, estimate that the number of suicides in the fire service is, some as much two to three times higher than our line of duty deaths in a year. Um, a lot of that's hard to determine because a lot of times suicide uh, isn't reported if that's the cause of death. So it's hard to get that data. Um, but uh, certainly something that has impacted our department over the years. It's it's a serious topic. It's one of the motivators for um, me and Brian that I mentioned earlier having, you know, starting the peer support team because um, we've had a few of our, our members over the years that, um, that this has touched and, and, and continues, um, to, uh, so I guess Nicole, this, this falls back, back into your realm. So maybe if you have some things you could discuss about that and experiences or advice and maybe we can kind of go from there. Well, definitely. Um, it's hard to predict. There's a whole field of study, uh, literally it's called suicide, suicidology that looks at suicide. Um, and the challenges that the symptoms are so wide, there's some commonality with, um, the person's probably experiencing large amounts of depression or experiencing large amounts of trauma. Um, they have not sought treatment. They're distancing. They're not engaged in things that they used to enjoy. Um, so there's some, there are some signs, but some of the resilient preventative measures is for people to get things like wellness checks, um, and really having departments and agencies support that, that, Hey, it's okay to go talk to someone. It's not a bad thing. Again, even if the person you're talking to is just a chaplain, a lot of those individuals have gone through some counseling classes as part of their chaplaincy. And being aware that if you're seeing something, say something to someone like, Hey, I'm worried about you. You know, I know this like 
shrink and she's not terrible and I'll go with you and being open to doing that. And I say she, because, but, or he, they're not terrible. Um, being open to saying to that person. And then I think it does come from the top. If command says, Hey, you know, I talked to somebody. What? Yes. I talked to somebody. It really helps make it feel safe to go seek help if needed. Um, but definitely just being aware, especially when you're that close knit in a group or you're interacting, if the person's starting to pull away or act different, it's okay to say something, say, I care about you. I'm concerned. What can I do? Um, is there anything I can do? Even if it's, we just go out back and play basketball, um, and, and trying to really make sure that person's fostering those connections to get them re-engaged and is, and somebody who's actually saying, I don't want to be here. That's someone you definitely want to have them go talk to someone. And it's not, I don't want to be here at work. I'm okay with not being here. If something were to happen, um, that's what we call that kind of passive thoughts. If something were to happen to me, it would be okay. That's when you're saying, oh yeah, no, we need to we need to go find someone. That doesn't necessarily mean that they need to go inpatient because there's not that second part of the plan and intent. Um, but that passive kind of thought process is a great time to step in. And folks will say it in their language. Um, so pay attention to what people are actually saying mm-hmm. and, and listening. And don't, and don't be afraid to ask. So if somebody's feeling some type of way and you hear the language, you're like, you know, that bothers me. Are you okay? Is there something that you need? Just ask them. Most people feel some sense of relief when someone says, hey, I'm concerned about you. You've said these things. So don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to bother your friend. I think that supportive side is terribly important when it comes, especially as supervisors in the fire department. Um, Because we have a lot of military people that have transitioned now into the fire service. And so... You know, the military, and I I know this from dealing with my husband, you know, the military side really put, back in the day, a a really bad label to anybody that needed mental health Mm -hmm. assistance. And so now those folks are, are working in the fire service, and it's a challenge to get them to understand that, hey, look, this isn't really bad. This is, it's another way of coping. I don't care how you cope, but we got to get, you know, through a positive way of doing that coping. And so, you know, I am an open book. I will share my story, my life history with anyone because I've run through challenges. I have been down dark roads. I have been at the peaks of the highest mountains. And I will tell you that, like, I tell everybody, you have a choice to make. You're either going to be a victim or you're going to survive it. And, you know, my mindset is always to survive. And so, you know, the mentality there of, hey, look, even I have sought, you know, help or I share my story and tell somebody, hey, it's okay. Like, I, you know, you can overcome anything. You know, like those are the, the times that we really make that impact. So since we have, have you here, Captain, um, what do you feel like in the realm of this discussion are some of the challenges that are unique to women in terms of mental health or physical health in the fire service? Yeah, so I'll tell you, I, I, if you would have asked me that five years ago before I had my first child, <laughs> my answer probably would have been way different than it is now mm-hmm. um, because I didn't really see a lot of those challenges. Yeah, everybody looked at me. I was a tiny little female in the fire department. Um you know, but no one really challenged me. Now I find that the mental health side is a challenge for me because every call I run, I check myself. Where that I used to never check myself. I'd run into every burning building 
in the city of Richmond, no problem, no questions asked. And now I'm like, ooh, I got two kids I got to think about. You know, like, let me let me play this a little bit more safe. It doesn't mean that I'm not going in, but I, I still, I have them always in the back of my mind. After I had Riker and Xander, I really struggled with mom guilt. And so I didn't want to do anything for me. Um, it was all about spending time with them, especially after a 24-hour shift. I wanted to go back and I wanted to be present for them. And then I realized that like my stress level was starting to tick up in dealing with them and then dealing with, uh, I kind of joke about it. Everybody kind of gave me a hard time. Oh, you're working on Mother's Day? And I was like, no, these are these are my kids too. It's okay. You know, um, but, uh, you know, I was trying to balance my my family life and my work life with no working out, eating terrible, all these things. And I was like, whoa, I need to realize that, like, my kids are not getting the best version of me. If I carve out an hour of time for me to get a workout in, they're getting a better version of me. And so I really had to, like, refocus my own mind about how that I looked at my time and the ability to spend with them and having better quality of time with them as opposed to just being present. Um, So I I just think that that's kind of one of those things that I had to overcome myself. Um, The other thing that I would mention is that females handle things differently. So if we run a call with a kid and we have kids, it's going to impact us way differently. Not to say that it doesn't impact, you know, a a male at all, but it's a different level sometimes. You know, a lot of times we will envision our child there. We will, you know, like really put ourselves in, it becomes that, that fight or flight where that, hey, this is, this could happen at any moment to my own child and we want to always protect. Um, You know, I I tell everybody that I am mama bear to the max. Um, Nobody messes with my kids, but then I take on everybody's kids. So everybody are, are, you know, they're all my kids. Um, But I would just be mindful of that. You know, females have a, have a lot to overcome in the department um, already with, hey, you're not strong enough, hey, you're not competent enough, whatever, um, allow them, allow us and each other to feel whatever emotion is in that moment without judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I promise you that we are internalizing it way, way more than any male could ever do out there. <laughs> um, and we are beating ourselves up for feeling the way that we feel. Um but it's but be allowed to to be a, aware of them and they're in that moment you know and just understand that hey they need to process and they they may process differently and it's okay you know so um as far as the female side I, you know I, I try to always say that hey there there are no differences we can do the job we can do all these things um just like anybody else can and i really do think that the that females play an important part in um, the diversity and the culture of the fire department. And it's important to have all of that. Um, But understand that there are cultural differences. There are, you know, differences based on gender, even age, all these things that are occurring, um, you know, and just be supportive to one another. Well, um, I really appreciate everyone, you know, joining us uh, to talk about these topics today. 
Um, I would like to, you know, I, th I think we're going to wrap it up, but I would like to just, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention at least that, um, you know, if, if something in this podcast has resonated with you and um, in terms of wanting to get some help or recognizing that, hey, these are some of the problems, you know, I'm having some of these problems that they're mentioning. There are a lot of resources out there for you, uh, and we want to make sure that you're aware of those. So, you know, we've mentioned our peer support team. We have peer supporters. They're firefighters. You're welcome to talk to, reach out to them. Not everyone on that list is probably going to be someone you want to talk to, but hopefully there's at least one person on that list you'd feel comfortable talking to. So feel free to reach out to them. I myself, we talked about, um, you know, counseling as an option. I have found that to be a very useful option for me over the years at different points in my career, whether I'm dealing with personal things or things with the job. So if you've never tried it uh, and, and you are having some of these issues, it's it's accessible. Give it a try and it may help you. And it may take more than one counselor. Not every counselor you go to is you're going to connect with. But if you give it a try with several different ones, you may. Um, I'd also say that, um, you know, we have an, an employee assistance program that has a, you know, a variety of other options that are available to you to use. Um, and you can talk with your officer or investigate on the, on the city website. There's a lot of options there as well to help you with some of these issues. If you think that you're in one of those more serious categories, there's some other resources as well. It's certainly, uh, you know, uh, if you've had thoughts of suicide, you definitely want to, talk with um, a professional. Uh, there's also a, a specific firefighter suicide hotline that you can call. They're, they're open 24 seven. Um, I think that's sponsored by the IFF. The number is uh, 1-800-273-TALK-8255. Um, there's also a, a more extensive program that I know uh, some of our members have engaged in. It's called the, that's also sponsored by the IFF which is the uh, Center for Excellence. It's a residency program where it gives you an opportunity to go and be there um, and have some time away um, to work on some issues that you may have. Uh, Nicole has given me a few other you know, resources, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, CDC also has some, some resources, the National Center for PTSD, National Institute of Mental Health, and uh, there's also a National Suicide Prevention Line. Um, so, um, uh, I think you mentioned all hands working. Do you know much about that organization? Yeah. So it's a national organization. They provide, um, connections with providers in the area. They also can link with, um, some residential programs, um, and support to the family. Um, okay. so then that's, um, firefighter specific, um, and then international association of chiefs of police, while it is, um, law enforcement, they are also, they work, um, with, um, IFF and, have resources actually on their page for providers in the area and there's also specific psychological sections where you can find individuals who provide therapy and other supports through them and within your area and and we certainly um you know my hope is that by giving a lot of different resources not every one of these resources mm -hmm. is going to be right for everybody um kind of as we were talking about diet and exercise and how mm -hmm. everyone's different so but hopefully some of these um one of these resources will resonate with you if you're, if you're having an issue. And certainly, um, you know, we want, that's part of the purpose of this is for people to, you know, be more aware, you know, be more aware of yourself as well. And in, in terms of, we were talking earlier about resiliency, 
uh, we can certainly provide you resources uh, about resiliency or you can look it up on your own and, and start to think about you know how you can build that uh, within yourself how you can build your own support network to to get through some of these issues so uh, i appreciate um, nicole and kevin you being here with us today to discuss this uh, it's it's a really important topic and we thank you for all of your insight and your information and uh, Hope that those listening will uh, benefit from from all of this information. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If if I could bug you one last time, and I'm going to push both of y'all on the spot. What is we have uh, listeners that are not just fire department centered. Um, if that you both could come up with one thing from um, the firefighter side and the public side that would be if that you had a message, the one takeaway from today's podcast. What would you say that that is from a profession from the profession of firefighter and the public side? Um, profession of firefighter is that we all well, those individuals who serve, your people too. So please be aware of that and honor the fact that you're human. So if you're tired, you're tired. If you're hungry, you're hungry. If you're bored, you're actually bored. It's okay. So honor the fact that you're human. And then from the public side, um, especially thinking about what's happened over the last couple of years with all the political um, unrest, these public servants are just that. And so trying to just honor the fact that, yes, they're there and connecting with the community, but also the other end is that they also have a job to do. So while there's frustration, just remember, again, humans on the other side. Um, I think it's two things for me, and I don't know if uh, I think they might they might apply to both. And that's just uh, number one's a, a little bit different is is to know your why. I think we're all valuable, um, and uh, we all deep down have a purpose that that motivates us. And um, it's important to remind myself of that because I can easily get off track. Why are you here, and what are you doing? Um, and then we can come up with ways that support that and make us most effective in that. And for me, um, mental health is, is uh, the immediate thing that I can do is, is exercise and, and eat better. Those two things, uh, when I'm in a funk, well, have you worked out today? Have you worked out in a couple of days? Or if I'm having an altercation uh, with a, a captain of the station, I don't know, disagree, <laughs> disagreement about something. Uh, I'll be in the weight room for the next little bit. I know you've done the same thing. Always. <laughs> so, yeah, I think what I have to remind myself is, is know your why, why are you here, what are you doing, and then um, support that with uh, immediate willy with, with an outlet, um, which for me is, is uh, physical activity. Thank you. Thank you for sharing um, Captain, did you have any any other comments, or did you want to answer the, your own question? <laughs> um, I would just uh, put it out there to everybody that you know there are so many resources out there. Um, you're not in anything alone. Uh, my phone stays on twenty four seven, even if that you think that um, I could help you. Uh, I'm not part of peer support, and I'm I'm not a counselor by any means. But I have life experiences that, you know, have uh, have challenged me um, up to in, even here recently with the, with the passing of my father. And, um, you know, like just to overcome that stuff, there are people that are in the same places that you may be in right now. And like uh, Nicole said, we are all human and we all process things differently. So, you know, 
sometimes it's the shotgun approach, like, hey, let me throw everything at this problem so that we can resolve it. So, you know, if that there's anything that I can personally do for anybody, you know, my phone, like I said, is always on. And, um, you know, we just don't want to lose anybody else to to any of the mental health side of things. So I appreciate everybody being here, uh, just like you. What about you, Chief? Um, so I would say, um, well, to your point, I think, you know, one thing that we learned about with the peer support um, when we first started that, you know, we didn't start it with just volunteers because people volunteer for a lot of different reasons. What we did was get people to be recommended by others because we knew that there were a lot of people already doing this. It wasn't formal. And I think even though we have a peer support team, there's still a lot of folks, like you mentioned, that just care about people. It's, it's kind of the nature of who does this job. So, so you know, even if you don't feel comfortable with a peer supporter uh, or someone on the list, then maybe um, there's someone that in this department that's doing a lot of that work already that isn't maybe an official peer supporter. So talk to who you feel comfortable talking to. And definitely develop your own um, system. Uh, you know, I, I know uh, Nicole mentioned earlier some things that, uh, some, some resiliency building activities. Uh, I've also found it really helpful in the last few years to, uh, which is another concept that's gaining a lot more um, publicity, I guess you'd say, or, or it's becoming more common is, is mindfulness. You know, taking some time, you mentioned fishing, or being in nature, taking some time for yourself. You know, I've, um, I'm, I'm uh, historically, and my family would say that I am one of the most inflexible people that you will meet. But I have discovered and worked with yoga over the last couple of years, and have found that to be a very um, good exercise for me to a grounding exercise in terms of being able to just focus on my breathing, my body. It's a physical activity, but it's also a way of, um, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, sometimes it's, it's, it, it is that I'm just focusing on the physical part of it, but it's slow and methodical. And in other times it's almost like, um, a moment of reflection, um, and just kind of, you know, I'm more in a thought process working through issues or whatever I'm, I'm dealing with at that time. And and then other times it could even be more of like a prayer type situation. I, you know, I am a person of, of faith and, and sometimes that movement and, and exercise focusing on my breathing is also a, a way to, to pray that I found useful. So I would say, you know, fine. As Kevin mentioned, you know, he's pretty, pretty defined in his, his, his system of, of how he can ground himself when he's, he has tough things. So I would say for whatever it is, you know, find your system and, and your support, those people that you want to talk to and the things that you can do personally that can help you um, kind of reset and, and what works for you, because I think that can make the all, all the difference. And then also um, learn yourself enough to know when you may need extra help. Because um, I think we all get to points in our lives with um, whether it's job or personal issues that, that you may feel like it's just a little too much for you. Um, it, where some of these things aren't working, you know, you're doing all those things and they, they, you still aren't, you know, what I would call like leveling out or, or, or grounding yourself. So if you, you see all those support systems are still not working, then don't be scared to go to another level to seek help so that you can try and get yourself back to, to where you need to be. So, um, 
that's what I would say. So, um, and thank, thank all of you for being here. Thanks. Thanks to, again, to all of our listeners. We hope that this, this has an impact. It's an important topic and, um, we will see you on the next episode. Thank you.